Greetings in Jesus' name. I'm Bishop Chester Wright, and this is the video teaching series, God's Love for Us. This is uh, part, this is lesson number nine, but part three of the subject, the constancy of God's love for us. We are uh, discussing, or the Holy Ghost is discussing, uh, Romans eight twenty eight through 39, if you will permit me to read that. Um, and we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he did predestinate, them he also called. And whom he called, them he also justified. And whom he justified, them he also glorified. What shall we then say to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It is God that justifieth. Who is he that condemneth? It is, uh, it is, uh, who is he that can, condemneth? It is Christ that died, yea, rather, that is risen again, who is even at the right hand of God, who also maketh intercession for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall, <laughs> the keyboard keeps coming up on my iPad. Uh, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? Some of those things uh, we discussed in a different, little different format in, uh, uh, from 2 Corinthians 12 in the last lesson. Here it is again. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or, or nakedness or peril or sword as it is written, for thy sake we are killed all the day long. We are counted as sheep for the slaughter. Nay, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now in part number one, we discussed in detail the constancy as of God's love as expressed in verses 38-39. In, uh, in, uh, in part two, we begin to talk about how the, uh, uh, the foundation for Paul's knowledge and can be and would be, if we allow it, uh, choose for it to be, uh, the constant, the foundation for our confidence in the constancy of God's love. And so, Again, we talked about verse 28. Uh, now uh, I'd like to read verses uh, 29 and 30 uh, from, the amp- from the Amplified. Uh, verse 29, For those whom he foreknew, of whom he was aware and loved beforehand, he also destined from the beginning for ordaining them to be molded into the image of his son and share inwardly his likeness that he might become the firstborn among many brethren. And those whom he thus foreordained, 
he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified, acquitted, made righteous, uh, putting them into right standing with himself. And those whom he justified, he also glorified, raising them to a heavenly dignity and condition or state of being. Now, this is, uh, in one of the earlier lessons, we talked about what manner of love that uh, the Father hath bestowed upon us that we should be called sons of God. Well, this could have been a part of that lesson. In fact, I did kind of refer to these verses. I didn't quote them in great depth or discuss them. But this is, this is, uh, these verses are really cons- going into what it means to say that God loved us enough to call us to make us his sons. For as many as received them, him, to them gave he power, John 1, 12, to become the sons of God. And that's not just meaning born again. My wife and I had two sons that lived. She had a miscarriage about five plus months along with our first. Uh, and so uh, with both of them, they were sons while I held them in my arms for the first time. But they couldn't do the, the things that a mature son could do. So as a father, it was my life's work uh, in their lives to help them grow up and become the men uh, naturally and spiritually that they were supposed to be. Now that wasn't always a pretty thing. wasn't always pretty. But I did what I did because I loved them and the Lord said through Paul, My son, despise thou not the chastening of the Lord. Why does God chasten us? To mold us and make us into what he would have us to be. What he planned for us to be. Why? Because we're his sons. We're his sons because he loves us. Because he loves us. I want to read those two verses in the Amplified before we go any farther. Verse 20, uh, not amplified, in Weiss. Verse 29 in Weiss. Because those whom he foreordained, he also marked out beforehand as those who were to be conformed to the derived image of his son with a result that he is firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, those whom he Thus marked out beforehand, these he also summoned. And those whom he summoned, these he also justified. Moreover, those whom he justified, these he also glorified. This is a process. Do you see the process? And the process started before the world began. He was the Lamb of God slain before the world began. Well, why would he have to be slain before the world began if we weren't already created in the mind of God? Because God is not subject to time and space. He is infinite. He is outside of the universe. The universe is in God. God is in the universe. But the universe is in God. Because of that, he couldn't create something without knowing the beginning of the ending of it instantaneously. The difference is this. In creating, 
when he created man, he didn't create the universe with a will of its own. He didn't create the solar systems in the universe with a will of their own. He didn't create the planets and the moons around those planets of those solar systems with a will of their own. He didn't create the angels with a right to exercise their will. They were sons of God. But because they were born into the presence of God and there was no evil in existence, they weren't created with the right to exercise that will. But God's ultimate and final plan, because He is love, and love is a choice, He chose to love us and He chose to create us in a way that would give us the ability to choose to love Him in return. Well, He knew when He created us with God-like ability to choose. We don't have God-right ability to do without the Holy Ghost. But we have a God-like ability to choose and a responsibility to choose with consequences to those choices, whether good or bad. But he, he gave us all of that so that we would could choose to love Him. Otherwise, it wouldn't be love. There is no place in the Bible that says God loves the angels, fallen or not fallen. There's no place that says that they love him. Well, that's terrible. No, it's not terrible. Love is a choice. They weren't given a choice. So no matter how devoted the two-thirds are that are still there, participating with God, it's not love. They weren't created with a choice. Now, it's their glory that they were created to serve God and to worship God forever. But God wanted to be loved. If you are love, you want to be loved. But there was nothing in existence when there was just God that could love Him. So everything was brought into existence to create an atmosphere for man because man is the only part of the creation of God that was given a will and not only given the ability but the, the and the right to choose to make decisions, but also the responsibility to make decisions and the accountability for those decisions, all for the purpose of having beings that can Choose to love God. We love Him because He first loved us. Behold what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us that we should be called sons of God. As many as received Him, to them gave He power to become the sons of God. That's what God has done for us. That's what He has done for us. Now, what's our response to all that going to be? If you read the King James, it's one of those places where people take a word that's in the King James and they go off on a tangent with a doctrine that is not biblical. So it says in Romans 8.29, For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate. Well, the way many teach predestination, 
You don't have a right to exercise your will. God's already determined whether you're lost or saved. How can God say it is not his will that any should be perish in Second Peter chapter 3 and in Titus chapter 2 say it is the will of God for all men to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth? If it's the will of God for all men to be saved and it's not the will of God that any be lost, then predestination as taught by some people can't possibly be true. So what, what does the Greek word actually mean here? So I'm reading to you again from the Amplified. For those he foreknew, because again, the moment he created, he knew everything. For those he fore, whom he foreknew, of whom he was aware and loved beforehand. He also destined from the beginning, for ordaining them to be molded into the image of his son and share inwardly his likeness that he might become the firstborn among many brethren. And again, we says it just a little bit uh, even more specifically in my opinion, if that's possible with the ampli- in comparison to the Amplified. Verse 29 in Weiss, because those whom he foreordained he also marked out beforehand as those whom were who were to be conformed to the derived image of his son with the result that he is firstborn among many brethren. Now, if you read in uh, Romans 9, I think it is, it's talking about Esau and Jacob. And while they were still in the womb, The scripture says of God, Jacob have I loved, Esau have I hated. Whoa, I thought God loved everybody. He does. But God was speaking of the end of the thing before the beginning. While they were still in the womb, he saw their lives. He saw the choices they were going to make. He saw what their priorities were going to be. He saw that. He didn't, it would not be love if he created us where we didn't have a legitimate choice. And our love for him, it wouldn't even be love, but if we, it also wouldn't have value to him if we didn't legitimately have a right to choose and the ability to choose. It wouldn't be a value to him. It really wouldn't be love. And so the only way it can truly be love is he loves us and we have the ability to choose to receive his love. And if I receive his love, his love abiding in me is going to, going to compel me to want to return that love to him in any and every way that he chooses for the, his love to be manifested back to him. Because He doesn't require of me what he does not supply first. So if he requires of me, and that's the greatest commandment, which we'll talk about in one of these lessons coming soon. uh, If he requires it, if it's commanded of me, and it's the greatest commandment for me to love him with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength, it's, it's, it's unrighteous of him to require me of something that I don't have the ability to do. Ah, but here's the problem. 
He supplies the love, but he can't make me take that supply, which is the empower, will, would be in me once I choose it. The, to, it would be the empowerment to be able to love him in return with his love, with his supplied love. So if this is the process, so these verses cannot be talking about God predetermining that somebody's lost or saved. He has foreknowledge. Foreknowledge means he knows what's going to happen, but he did not overpower the choice of the individuals to make them do anything. Satan would could, would do that if he could, but he's not allowed. We can't do that to other people. We're not allowed. But we're responsible to God for making our own choice. And if we participate in the process, it goes from what happened before the universe was even created, all in the mind of God. He, he created us first in his mind. Every architect, every builder, every engineer, it all happens in their minds first. They see it in their mind and then they create the plans for it called the word of God and then they build from those plans. So all of this happened in the mind of God before there was ever a universe. Certainly before there was ever an earth to say, let there be light to. So it was all there. And the word of God is that blueprint that tells us how the builder is building his or fulfilling his plan, his his blueprint of of all that he designed in his mind before anything was. And so he, his love in action is him actually following the blueprint to bring about that which was in his mind. When he created me in his mind, he created me with the ability to choose. He foresaw what my choices were going to be, but did not control one of them. Didn't control one of them. And you say, well, that's not fair. He put us in situations where it would make us make wrong choices. No. For every excuse I've got, He's got hundreds and thousands of people over time that he put in very, very similar circumstances and they chose him. And that's why we are actually, that's why it says of like uh, Noah, by faith Noah being warned of God of things not seen as yet, moved with fear, prepared an ark to the saving of his household, by the which he condemned the world. He wasn't trying to condemn the world. He was trying to obey God. And he was trying to save his family and anybody else that would get in the ark. But his choices in obeying God was the evidence against all of those that were destroyed in the flood. Because it took Noah approximately 120, 125 years, whatever it was, to build the ark. If it took him that long to build the ark, Word spreads. Everybody knew about this crazy guy that said it was a, a flood. What's a flood? Because up till that time, the earth was watered by the dew in the mornings. 
They didn't need a boat. They didn't need a boat. And so the fountains of the deep broke up. Well, he believed the word of God, even though he'd never seen anything like that. He had never heard of anything like that. God told him what was going to happen. He believed that he worked. His choices, whether he wanted them to or not, condemn the world. That's why Paul says we're the saver, not savior, but saver of life unto some, and we're the saver of death unto others. Our right decisions inspire others to make right decisions, but our right decisions are evidence and will be at the great white throne judgment evidence against those that don't make the right decisions. We don't have an option in that. We don't have anything to do with that. That's all God's domain. Our responsibility is just make right choices. Just to let the love of God in us make right choices. Empower us to make those right choices. And live in fellowship with Him in His love. By His love. Through His love. For His love. So, He says... uh, And we know with an absolute knowledge that those who are loving God, all things are worked together resulting in good for those who are divinely summoned ones according to his purpose. Because those whom he foreordained, he also marked out beforehand as those who were to be conformed to the image of his son. And this word conformed there is also uh, used, if I'm not mistaken, uh, Let's go back up. Uh, I, can't, I don't have, I can't, I've got my notes here, not my Bible open. Uh, be not conformed to this world, but be transformed. So conforming means not just what's going on the inside, but the whole being is being shaped and molded into the image of his son. And that's not just the outward image of his son. It's every part of the son with the result that he is the firstborn of every creature. Moreover, Those whom he thus marked out beforehand, these also he called, he summoned. And those whom he summoned, after they responded to the summons, these he justified. Moreover, those whom he justified, he also glorified. How? Now, Paul said in 1 Corinthians 6, uh, he lists all these things that if you do those things, you're not you're not a part of the kingdom of God. He said, and some, such were some of you. Uh, but in, by the spirit of the, in the name of Jesus, by the spirit of God, uh, you've been justified and sanctified, uh, washed, justified, sanctified uh, in the by the spirit of our God. In the name of Jesus, by the spirit of our God, such were some of you. So there's a process here. Once I obey the call of God to come to him, it is the process of justification that we participate in. And when we participate in the process of justification, and again, if you let's read what the, the Amplified says there. It's really good. Uh, Verse uh, 30 says, And those whom he has he thus foreordained, in Amplified, he also called, and those whom he called, he also justified, acquitted, made righteous, putting them into a into right standing with himself. And the word righteous means to uh, 
to be innocent. And so acquitted. Now we know we were guilty. We know we're guilty. Sin makes all of us guilty. If we offend one, one point of the law, we're guilty of all the law. So how can we be acquitted, justified, made innocent? Because he who, first Corinthians, second, second Corinthians 5.21, he who knew no sin was made sin for us that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. So he takes our sins upon him. He took our sins, past, present, future sins of all mankind upon himself and he died on the cross for all of those sins. Because only the blood of Christ can forgive any sin ever for any man. No matter what dispensation he was a part of. No matter what the plan of salvation was then. And justification means I've been acquitted or declared innocent. I've only been declared innocent because he took all my sins. And they became his sins to die for or pay for. He wasn't guilty of the sins, but he took the sins as if he had done them and suffered in our place for them as if... uh, by his choice, because of love, so that we could be made innocent, righteous, justified. Justification is the process. Righteousness is the product. And when I do that, he also glorified them, raising them to a heavenly dignity and condition or state of being. How? <laughs> Romans chapter 6 tells us very clearly, that uh, if we've been crucified, if we, uh, if, if, if those that have been baptized have been baptized into his death, that we would be baptized into his crucifixion, and that through the Holy Ghost we are resurrected with him. And we are resurrected by the glory of God's Spirit manifesting himself in us, through the baptism of the Holy Ghost, and as we yield ourselves and submit ourselves to the Spirit of God in us through life, the Spirit of God working through us will glorify God. So the manifestation and revelation of God in us by Him filling us with His Spirit, then the Spirit of God working through us as His instruments, His vessels, His conduits, that glorifies God. Behold what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us that we should be called sons of God. John 1 and 12, but to as many as receive them, to them become, they become sons of God. John 3, 5, except a man be born again, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. If a man's not born again, he can't see the kingdom of God. Uh, if you can't, if except you're born again, you can't see the kingdom of God. Except you're born of water and spirit, you cannot enter into the kingdom of God. And who is in the kingdom of God? Sons of God, the children of God. That's who and what's in the kingdom of God. Amen. That's who's in the kingdom of God. That's why, and I'm going to read to you from the King James again here. Okay, for whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate them to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. That's where why First John four, I think it's verse seventeen says, as he is, 
so are we in this world. Not as he was, because the Spirit of Christ, which is the Spirit of God, which is the Holy Ghost, the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of the Lord, there is one Spirit, Ephesians 4. God is a Spirit, singular, uh, is manifested in the earth through his sons. It is his spirit that does this, making us the firstborn, uh, making him the firstborn among many brethren. So his goal is, his goal is for us to be born again in and through him, by him, so that we become sons of God, not different sons of God. We may have had different beginnings. He might have been born by the overshadowing of the Holy Ghost and was sinless. We might have been born uh, in sin and shaped in iniquity. But at our rebirth, starting at our rebirth, we are now sons of God like him. We might have started, we might have started in sin. But God's greatness, glory, his love has called us out of darkness into his marvelous light, called us out of hate into love and caused us to be born again. So he said, he that believeth on me, the works that I do shall he do also and greater works than these shall he do because I go to my father. The body of the man Christ Jesus was taken off the earth and became the head of the body on the throne so that he could birth all these other brethren individually and the collection of all these brethren uh, brothers and sisters, children of God, is the body of Christ. And what the body of Christ did on earth before, the body of Christ is going to do on earth again, and yet, according to Jesus, in a much greater dimension. And all of this comes back to the love of God and to the certainty and the constancy of God's love. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, I pray that you would allow the Holy Ghost, you would allow the Holy Ghost to, to speak to you, to work to work in you, to give you the grace to respond to God and to choose to do his word and his will for his glory. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, I pray these things. Amen.